Hey, Shuang here. Exciting news. We are launching a new series on this podcast called Learn with Shopify. It's the same great conversations you love with business owners, but we'll go even deeper into their area of expertise, like marketing, manufacturing, product development, and so much more, so you can learn how to scale your business. It starts in July on Thursdays, and it comes to you in the same feed as Shopify Masters. So come join us on Tuesdays and Thursdays this summer to learn even more with Shopify. We also kind of just did a lot of research, you know, based on experts. I read a lot of cookbooks, kind of seeing what are the most recommended pieces that people are going to be using on an everyday basis. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, your companion for starting and building a business. I'm your host, Felix Tia. Sometimes the best business opportunities are right in front of us. That's exactly what happened to Jessica Sheft Asen. While she was walking in the Bowery of New York City, she noticed that just about every other store there sells professional kitchenware to the New York City restaurant scene, and that's when she and her co-founder Minsuk Kim wondered why aren't there many direct-to-consumer companies selling professional kitchenware, and what if they could curate restaurant-quality cookware and sell it directly to the kitchens of everyday home cooks and chefs? So they launched Goldilocks, and Jessica is here to tell me more about their story. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for that introduction. I've never heard someone tell our story before, so I liked your spin on it. Awesome. I'm glad that we could uh, do you the service. So, what makes Goldilocks Cookware different or superior to what you would find in like a regular big box store, like a Target? So, the main differentiator is price. Our um, we curate our sets to be the most affordable that they can be. Um, so, we offer high quality tri ply stainless steel cookware. We've also made sure that the pieces you're getting, you're not getting extra lids, you're not getting uh, cookware that you won't necessarily use in your everyday cooking. So it's really high quality, affordable, and curated to be just what you need. Who is like the ideal kind of customer for for your business? Who's shopping on the Shopify site? Um, I would say it's a lot of people who are maybe switching from nonstick to stainless steel for like a healthier cooking option. A lot of people who are moving into a new home, um, whether they want to upgrade their cookware or try something new, and a lot of second homeowners, so people who are outfitting a kitchen for a rental property or a vacation property, but really kind of spans a lot of different demographics and ages and um, anyone who's looking to kind of improve their kitchen experience. And people that are coming, are they already educated in knowing what they want to purchase, what they need to purchase, or how aware, how knowledgeable are the customers that come to your your store? Yeah, I think our customers are pretty knowledgeable. I think they've done a lot of research in order to kind of arrive that they want stainless steel tri-ply cookware. Um, so maybe they've probably read about some of the harmful effects of nonstick cookware. And so that's kind of pushed them towards a more safer alternative like stainless steel. And they also really like the durability of it. Um, and then when they're shopping on our site, they're probably comparing us to some other brands like Cuisinart, Calphalon, Tramantina, and they're choosing us because, you know, we're able to offer the same high quality cookware that they're looking for, but at a better price. Yeah, and I think one of the things with your store and with your kind of value proposition is that you curate the products for your customers. They don't have to come in knowing all the intricacies of kitchenware and Mm -hmm. cookware. How did you gain the expertise or knowledge to be able to curate and know what to present to your customers? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so initially there was a New York Times article. It was written many years ago now at this point. 
It was called A No Frills Kitchen Still Cooks. And the author of that article went to the Bowery and he picked up all of the essential items he would need for his kitchen by shopping on the Bowery, you know, like what you described at the beginning. So that's kind of how we made our initial set. And then we also surveyed our friends and family and asked them, like, what do you think is essential when making, you know, when you're cooking at home? So, for example, an item like a whetstone, that was something that the author had in his article. But when we surveyed our friends and family, they weren't necessarily going to use a whetstone in their everyday life. So that's kind of how we came up with all of the items that we include in our essentials bundle, which is both utensils, knives, and cookware. Um, And then within each of those sets, we also kind of just did a lot of research, you know, based on experts. I read a lot of cookbooks, kind of seeing what are the most recommended pieces that people are going to be using on an everyday basis. So um, our one and a half quart, our three quart um, saucepans, and then our stock pot and our 10 inch and 12 inch skillets are what make up our cookware set and cookware set plus. Um, And Obviously, there are things that other people might use in their day-to-day, for example, like a cast iron or a wok, Um, but these are kind of like the base of your kitchen, what you would do to kind of if you were just getting started or if you're outfitting something new. Yeah, and you've had this this interest in in e-commerce for a long time. You even Mm -hmm. sought out jobs in different e-commerce departments and worked at the billion-dollar skincare and beauty brand Glossier. Mm -hmm. What are some of the experiences that you had in your career that have been helpful in your now entrepreneurial journey? My first e-commerce job had actually been consulting at Domino's Pizza. So that's a very unique uh, e-commerce operation, obviously, because they're selling something that's perishable and they're selling something that, you know, you deliver in a short period of time and also offering pickup. Um, But I really kind of love that instant gratification where, you know, you're kind of able to see the money come in and optimize your business based on transactions. And then I had worked at Claire's, which is also a very large retailer. They have... I think a a store in almost every mall in America, something upwards of 90% of malls have a Claire's store at the time that I was working there, but they had been slow to adopt e-commerce. And one thing I kind of learned from Claire's is that if you become a discount retailer, it's really hard to stop discounting. Um, So something that we, we don't do at Goldilocks is we almost never discount our goods. At Claire's, we called it the clearance crutch um, because if we had to hit monthly numbers or we had goals that we wanted to hit or we were always kind of turned to the clearance section and, you know, putting things on offer. And so that's something I knew as a business I never really wanted to do. Uh, And then at Glossy, it was kind of just growing the business from a very small operation to I was there when it was, let's say, large to midsize um, and kind of seeing all the different types of pieces that go into it from an operations perspective, from a marketing perspective. And then, you know, it's different when you're doing it yourself uh, as opposed to working with a team. Um, so it was definitely a foundational experience, but was only kind of just the beginning of what I was learning about kind of running an e-commerce business. Yeah, I love that phrase, clearance crutch, and that you've taken approach of not getting into this uh, kind of mm-hmm. headspace for a lot of your customers that you are going to be discounting your products. When you do have extra inventory, though, have you learned about any creative ways to offload the extra inventory? Yeah, so we did, when we did our business name change, we do offer our knife set and our utensil set on sale. Um, and they're currently on sale on our website. But luckily for us, when we were going through a period when we were changing our business name and where we might have had additional inventory was also when a lot of consumers were shopping online due to COVID. So we never really had 
um, a large shortage of inventory that we are needing to unload. Um, I think, you know, the best offer that we have on our site is our free shipping. Um, so we offer that for all orders, forever, for everything. Um, and I think it's the best incentive that we have to make sure that customers are shopping with us versus our competitors. Yeah, looking at your website, I think I, I'm really a big fan of the product photography on the website. I think it really elevates the the value that the customers are getting. What's the what's been the process to get these photos taken? Are they done in house? You hire an agency to do it? Um, I had a friend take them. Um, the friend happens to also be a professional photographer and had shot for um, you know various editorial publications and also done some e commerce. So um, we were able to work with him on that. I'm talking with Jessica Sheft Asen, founder of Goldilocks. They sell restaurant-quality cookware at an affordable price. Then you gain a lot of experience working with these brands and their e-commerce operations. When you think about how it applies to the e-commerce entrepreneurs that, that you've spoken to, what are some of the biggest problems that you see happening that maybe were a problem as well at some of these bigger, bigger brands that you worked with? I think the most difficult thing for a lot of entrepreneurs is focusing on vanity metrics like your launch, And, you know, making sure that you have like the biggest launch and how everything performs on launch day when launch day is really only just the beginning and it's one day of your business and making sure that you're kind of optimizing for the long haul. Um, It's obviously fun to care about launches and see how things do when you restock a product that's been out of stock for a long time or launch a new product or SKU or, you know, unveil a rebrand on the website. Um, But those days are really just a very short period of a business now that I've had my business for a long time um, that really only represents a a very short period of time. Yeah, these kind of big splashes and you're calling these, you know, the Mm -hmm. vanity metrics are, they're very small blips, very small parts of that entire journey. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned how uh, you want to focus on optimizing the things like transactions and seeing the money come in and more important metrics. It sounds like you care a lot about the data. It sounds like data is a very important part of your business. What are some other important data points that maybe new entrepreneurs should pay attention to rather than, again, some of these vanity metrics? Yeah, so we obviously use a ton of like Google Analytics and ensuring that we're, you know, optimizing our conversion rate and, you know, average order value and things that you would, you know, kind of the the basics that people would be looking at. Um, But recently we actually uh, started using the Inquire app so we could collect more qualitative feedback from our customers about how they were first hearing about us and also why they were choosing our product. Um, And it's definitely something I wish I had started kind of collecting a little bit more of that qualitative feedback early on, because I think it's helping us understand why people are choosing us over our competitors. And I was really surprised by the amount of people who were willing to complete that survey after they purchased. You know, I kind of assumed that the second you hit place order, you're closing out the tab and you're onto something new. Um, But it's definitely something that I would uh, encourage people to try. Yeah. So whether it's qualitative or quantitative feedback that you've gotten, anything that you've done as a result of the feedback from from data or from the, these these surveys, these questions that has made a big impact on the business. Um, I mean, one thing that we've recently learned is definitely about. Um, people switching to stainless steel over the nonstick cookware. Um, so we're definitely going to do you know, more marketing around that to help kind of improve our positioning and showing that our product really is great for people who are switching from nonstick to stainless steel and also maybe some of the health benefits of cooking with stainless steel in addition to kind of the longevity and durability benefits. Um, and then also I think this is not necessarily a uh, – 
a piece of data, but something that I've kind of known from being in the industry a really long time has been um, both about customer reviews and free shipping. So um, in both of the businesses that I'd worked in prior to starting mine, I knew that free shipping was a huge incentive when people were looking to shop on your website. So um, whether it was offering free shipping via a code or um, offering free shipping over a certain threshold, those were all levers that really improved um, the outcomes of the businesses I had previously been at or have consulted with. So from the start, we were saying we were always going to offer free shipping and something that we've modeled into our business um, from the get-go is being able to offer that. So that's been really important to us. And I think a huge benefit to our business is offering that. And then um, customer reviews also make a really big impact on the website. So um, prior to launch, we ensured that we collected customer reviews from friends and family who were able to um, give product to. And then we also incentivize customer reviews on our website. Yeah, so not just free shipping, but you also offer free returns. And you mentioned that you modeled yes. this into the business from the beginning. Yes. How do you make sure that the numbers work? If someone out there also wants to use this as a way to kind of ease the friction of someone purchasing from your your site, how do you make sure that you're not going to go into the red by doing this? The number one thing is being in a category that has a low return level um, and has kind of a little bit of I don't want to say difficulty in returning, you know, we sell a really high quality product that has a very low return rate. Um, So because of also the price point, it's something that people are going to be pretty educated in and pretty thoughtful in when they're making their decision. You know, most of our purchases are almost $200. So they've probably made a considered purchase when buying it. Um, And if you're new or if you're maybe bootstrapping a business and don't have the money to kind of like fund this return cycle, um, I would say beauty, apparel might be more difficult categories to go after. Um, maybe there's another category that you could look into that would generally kind of have a low return rate because offering the free returns, um, even though we do have a low return rate, some people are going to want to return it and aren't going to want to be, you know, perfectly pleased with the product and um, being able to offer that gives them the confidence to buying on our website. Because when I'm thinking about who we're competing against, we're competing against someone like a a Bed Bath & Beyond where you can purchase their product and then bring it back to the store if you don't like that. So I want to give our customers the same amount of comfort when they're purchasing on our site as they would have at someplace like Bed Bath & Beyond. Yeah, I think a big part of making them comfortable is the customer reviews that you had mentioned. And I, mm-hmm. I love the fact that you asked your friends and families to kind of seed or to start reviewing first because you kind of get stuck in this cycle where no one's buying because they don't see reviews. And then no one's leaving reviews because no one's buying. So I like that you kind of got it rolling this way. Now, once you've gotten your, your friends and family to leave reviews, how do you incentivize customers that you don't know, like strangers, to leave reviews as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we do a few things. So, you know, we email customers after they've purchased, and then occasionally we'll also offer um, a refund, like a small monetary amount, um, to let customers know that, you know, we'd appreciate their review. So, if you want to incentivize a review, doing a follow up email with either a discount or a refund has been super effective. Um, especially for a product like ours, we don't have uh, repeat purchases on our site very frequently. It's a very uncommon thing to do to buy cookware twice. We have had it and we've had some customers who have 
bought it for many of their homes, and I've been super grateful for that. But if a person is only going to be purchasing once on our site, we had to kind of get a little bit creative about what we could do to incentivize that next um, action that we wanted them to take. So we've done refunds. Hold that thought, Jessica. We'll be right back after this quick message from Shopify. Hey, Schwang here. Exciting news. We just launched our merch store called Shopify Supply. If you wanted to rock your hustle spirit, we've got you covered from hoodies to socks. Check it out at shopify.supply. Use the code podcast for 10% off your complete order and you'll get free shipping within North America too. Happy shopping. I'm talking with Jessica Sheft-Ason, founder of Goldilocks. They sell restaurant-quality cookware at an affordable price. And you alluded to this earlier. You changed the name of the business from something else to Goldilocks. So what was the name before and why the change? The name before had been Potluck. And we were lucky enough to acquire the trademark to the name Goldilocks. And so about maybe two and a half, three years into our business, um, we kind of decided that the new name fit us better. It also gave us the kind of opportunity to do do a little bit of a rebrand. We had now had um, more time in the market, better understanding of our customers. So we changed our name and also did a little bit of a brand refresh with new colors, new photography, um, and introduced our a new product of our Cookware Set Plus. What's involved in getting a trademark like that? Sounds like it could be expensive. Like what's if someone wants to do something like that for their business, A, how do they know that they should do it? And then what's the process? I'm not a lawyer, so I can't necessarily tell you if you should or shouldn't get a trademark, but it was definitely something for us, given how long we plan to run this business, that we would we felt more comfortable if we had a trademark and was something that would make our trademark or make our business more valuable. Uh, so the first, you can do this on your own without a lawyer, but I highly recommend using a lawyer because trademark law is super complicated. And even if someone isn't using that exact name, um, the trademark law protects things that are even remotely similar to it. Uh, it's called like the likelihood of confusion. And also, uh, it protects things that are in adjacent categories as well. So it's something that you would probably want to have a trademark lawyer do because they can run searches. Um, and if it's something where you think you're going to be running the business for a long time and you want to make your business more valuable and you have additional funds, I, w- I would definitely recommend securing a trademark for your business name. Yeah, as part of this transition to to the name Goldilocks, you did a whole brand refresh with the new name. Mm-hmm. And you also believe that entrepreneurs should review their brand every two to three years. What does it mean to review your brand? Uh, I think it just kind of means taking a look at the different assets you have, different, you know, I'm not a designer, so I can't necessarily speak to all of the the different facets that go into a brand, but just kind of how you're approaching um, your customers when you position your brand. So maybe in a few years, we'll realize something new about our customers and maybe want to either update our photography or change how we're speaking with our customers on social media about our brand. We already covered how you were able to get friends and family to leave reviews, but you've also done something else prior to launching the business, which was collect a bunch of emails a month prior to the launch. How are you able to collect emails when you don't have anything to sell yet? Uh, So we set up a landing page and we only really promoted it through social media. 
So we set up the social handle for our business and then promoted it through our own uh, Instagram handles. And then we also sent an email to friends and family and then LinkedIn as well. And probably encouraged some of our friends to post in their work slacks if they could at the time. Um, But it was really just kind of our own word of mouth. We didn't have like a gigantic list that we were launching to. We didn't pay for any leads prior to launch. Uh, We just kind of did word of mouth, friends and family, blasting it everywhere that we possibly could, but nothing um, bigger than that. Do you remember how successful the launch was? I would say that compared to other businesses that I've been at where they've maybe done put more kind of paid marketing behind um, building the list, it probably wasn't as successful. But, you know, it was successful in the sense that, you know, we were making money on the first day and we had customers and people were able to check out and they understood the website. And uh, from from there, we just kind of had, had to grow it. So, um, again, I wasn't so, so focused on how much we were going to do on launch day. And this also probably comes from my prior business experience, knowing that launch day is really only the beginning. So I wasn't so focused on like making sure that we did, you know, 500K on the first day we launched. That wasn't necessarily important to me. Yeah. And another kind of channel that you took on was around getting press and you've gotten press from like good housekeeping. What advice do you have for entrepreneurs that are also looking for press, especially early on when they don't have a lot of money to spend on getting press? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say um, just like you would network at work, making sure that you're networking in the industry and talking to reporters and uh, sending them product and also seeing that the type of content that they write. So um, ensuring that if you're selling teddy bears, for example, you're talking to the reporter that's specifically focused on teddy bears and has done tons of reviews about teddy bears and you know the type of stuff that he or she likes. So we definitely have focused, you know, specifically on a niche of reporters that that cover us. So with the PR and the emails that you were able to do at launch, is that still the strategy that you use today to keep on growing the business or what else has worked? Yeah, so we um, we have email marketing that we do. We have press that we reach out to and ensure that they're taking a look at our products. We also do uh, social media. Um, We have an Instagram that we do. We haven't necessarily tried uh, our own video content, but that's something that I think we'll be looking to expand to. Um, And then just testing tons of new channels. You know, we've done some out-of-home advertising. We did a wheat pasting campaign a few years ago. We've done some podcast advertising. And so we're always interested in new ways to market our business. Yeah, and so for other entrepreneurs out there that are also interested in starting their own direct-to-consumer business, especially ones that are competing with the big box stores and the chains, what kind of advice do you have for them getting started? Um, I would say to start small. You know, we didn't, some of our competitors in the space, you know, raised lots of money and had additional funding and we didn't do that. And it's something that, you know, we've done kind of alongside our consulting, our jobs as well. And so I would encourage you to consider that path and and maybe uh, look at ways in which you can do it in a super sustainable way. It's been very rewarding um, to see our business grow. It hasn't been, you know, the craziest hockey stick you've ever seen, but it has been growing. And that's kind of the most uh, important thing to us because I, I see myself doing this for a really, really long time. 
Yeah, I think you use that word sustainability is important where you might go into this and just overinvest and pour everything into it and kind of try to hit out the park. But then if you don't, then, you know, who knows where you might end up. Other than that, what are some other common pitfalls that you see other direct-to-consumer brands falling into? Um, I would say not necessarily focusing on the needs of the customer and, you know, doing, you know, we don't do a lot of like business press, for example, because, uh, I don't necessarily think that people who are shopping for cookware are going to be listening to founders tell their story all the time. Obviously, you know, I'm talking to you right now and it's really fun to do this podcast, but we don't necessarily focus on, you know, business press or launch day metrics or fundraising. We are so, so focused on just making sure that we are delivering a really high quality product to our customers, getting feedback from them, and then iterating from there on what we can provide to them. So if you find yourself maybe focusing on things that aren't as important um, because you know, you've know you raised money or you have investors or um, people who you're trying to please that aren't the customer, maybe shift your priorities to ensure that you're working towards a product that is really going to ultimately meet the needs of the market because that to me is the most important thing in, in terms of having a successful business. So what's next for Goldilocks? Um, we're just going to continue selling the best, most affordable cookware uh, to customers. So um, we don't necessarily have any launches of new product plans. I think one of the best things about what we sell is that there's a huge market for it. So we're going to be continuing to uh, sell these products and hopefully also do some more video content around education of our products and, you know, really looking forward to seeing how people um, use our products in their own kitchens. Keep doing what's working. A very underrated strategy. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Jessica, Chef Asen, founder of Goldilocks. They sell restaurant quality cookware at an affordable price. Jessica, thank you so much. Thank you, Felix. And that's all the time we have this week. Come hang out with us next time on Shopify Masters. Again, I'm Felix Tia. Take care. <laughs>